of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of the Lord. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid of any terror. opportunities where we are able to spend time and praise to God and study of his word. We have those who are visiting with us. We are especially glad that you have come our way and that you have joined us this Lord's Day. We hope that we are edifying each other through our effort and our time together and invite you to be taking out your Bibles and be turning to the book of 1 Corinthians and the 7th chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We are going to begin there with a couple of verses in just a few moments in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And as you are turning there, I want to admit to you something this morning. This is a sermon that I have never preached before. In particular, what I mean by that, this is a topic of which I have never done a full sermon and study on in this nature. I think I have probably addressed it in Bible classes or in questions that might come up from time to time. But this is also a sermon with which I have no experience. Dennis, I have this blacked out for so. It's also a sermon I have no experience personally with this topic. Although I do know people who have had this experience, or maybe are living with this experience right now. And this topic is a Bible topic, and so it is one that we should address. And it's what Peter, as we just heard in our reading, he begins with addressing it. And the Apostle Paul begins addressing it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you would, turn there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and in verse 12, where Paul writes... But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. And what this verse has in common with what Peter addresses is what some people would call mixed marriages or whenever there is a believer that is married to an unbeliever. And it's a question that I think we seriously need to consider because as I mentioned, this is a Bible topic. There are a couple of passages that mention this very issue. What if my spouse is not a Christian? And since this is a Bible topic, it demands our attention that we should address such topics like this. And we might not limit this to just simply someone who is a Christian, although or not a Christian. 
We might include someone who has been baptized, has confessed faith in Christ, but has fallen away. There are people who are living in those kinds of circumstances where their husband or their wife is not living faithfully to the Lord. How do you manage that kind of marriage? Marriage is difficult enough. How do you live in such a marriage where that is the condition and the quality and the characteristics of your marriage? And many times we are quick to probably preach about this on the front end, aren't we, before someone gets married. We like to address the importance of this subject. I think it's important that we want to encourage someone to look for a Christian to marry or at least look for someone who has a good honest heart that is full of integrity and good character and who that might be taught to become a Christian. And so we like to deal with that with maybe our young people, those who are in their 20s, those who are looking to get married. But what about those who are already married that might be in this kind of situation? And so we want to look at this from the perspective of the Bible and what the Bible teaches about that. We want to look at some passages and some principles that I think can help guide us if we find ourselves in such a marriage relationship. And the first thing that we have to acknowledge is that we have to love God more than our spouse. And that might sound alarming to people. That you have to love God more than your spouse, but I would suggest that is true that even if you are married to someone who is a Christian, you have to love God first and foremost. Isn't that what the Bible demands? Isn't that what Jesus demands? In the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 12, when Jesus was posed a question about the law, about which is the greatest commandment, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus said, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That your first and foremost love must be God. That's true no matter if you're married to a Christian or a non-Christian. You must love the Lord first in your life. And then Jesus goes on in verse 32, the scribe converses with him and said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. The second great commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. I would suggest to you that is your spouse. That you are to love God and then your spouse, to love your neighbor as yourself. And what the scribe there that asked Jesus is saying that this is more than burnt offerings and sacrifices that you might make. It's interesting that you think about marriage and love for this world and love 
for your spouse, that can become a temptation where you would elevate your love for your spouse to be greater than God and your love for Him. I think that's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 might warn about that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and further into that chapter in verse 32, as Paul is giving some marital advice as someone who is not married, that's interesting, isn't it? But he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and in verse 32, here's what Paul says. He says, but I want you to be free from concern One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. In just the very nature of the marriage relationship, it demands that you consider someone else, right? I think that's what Paul is saying, and under the circumstances there in 1 Corinthians 7, which we don't have time to get into very much this this morning, but Paul is saying, I wish that you would be unmarried, because your interests end up getting divided. And but the person who is who is single, they get to focus solely on God and serving God. Now that's not condemning marriage, obviously. In the ordinance of marriage, God instituted marriage, but what Paul's point is saying is that marriage can become so important to people that you elevate your love for your spouse before your love for God, and that is a misplaced priority. Your love for God is demonstrated through obedience to Him. In that language of the scribe who came to Jesus, he says that loving the Lord is greater than sacrifices and burnt offerings. In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, when when Samuel came to King Saul after he had been disobedient, Samuel stated this principle. In 1 Corinthians chapter in 1 Samuel chapter 15 rather in 1 Samuel 15 and in verse 22 Samuel said has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord behold to obey is better than sacrifice our obedience to God our love for God is expressed through faithful obedience to Him. Jesus said in John the 14th chapter, in John chapter 14, and in verse 15, notice in the words of Jesus Himself, He said, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Obedience is not separated from love. I think sometimes we try to parse that out and we try to separate that and untether it, but you can't. Your love for God is expressed through obedience. And so if you find yourself married to someone, especially who is not a Christian, your love and your commitment to God must be absolute. It must be first. And you can demonstrate your love for God and your commitment to following Him by worshiping regularly with 
the local church. Be here when the doors are open to be encouraged and to learn. In Romans chapter 1, I love this passage of Scripture and how it might apply to us. Many times we go to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together to talk about how we need to attend church services. But I love Romans chapter 1 in this vein as well. In Romans chapter 1, notice what Paul says. In verse 11, he says, For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. You think about that in the context of church attendance. You can't do that alone, can you? You can't be encouraged by someone if you don't see them, if you're not with them. And so if you're going to love the Lord, it's going to be expressed through worship and through attendance and being with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And if your spouse is not interested in attending, you have to make it clear to them that you love God and that you will be giving your time first to the Lord. You need to give of your means to the local church. Something that a, an unbeliever may not appreciate or always like. But that is something that you must do in love for God. You must be committed to living a holy life as Peter addressed in 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 1, Peter says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. If you are married to someone who's an unbeliever and not a Christian, you cannot afford to compromise your convictions and your holiness. You cannot participate in their sin. You cannot participate and go along with it and ignore it and act as if it is okay. Your love for God must come first and you cannot live a double life. You must be consistent. Because if you compromise one time, your spouse will expect you to compromise again. Jesus warns about that. In Matthew, the sixth chapter. In Matthew, chapter six, as Jesus is talking about righteousness and holiness. And the kind of life that you would live in Matthew, the sixth chapter, and in verse 22, Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. 
And if you compromise, if you allow that darkness to creep in just a little bit, guess what? It's going to swallow up the light that is in your life. You cannot afford to compromise the truth. And then I find it interesting what Jesus says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Who is truly your master in your life? The Lord or your spouse? And while this may sound radical, this may sound very unorthodox, to love God more than your spouse, maybe what will shock you is our next point. The reason that you love the Lord first and more than your spouse is because God loves your spouse more than you do. You may think, wait, wait, wait. No. I married my best friend. I love my spouse with all my heart. But let me ask you this. When your spouse upsets you, when your husband or wife does something that they shouldn't do, when they say something that upsets you and makes you angry at them, would you offer one of your children to forgive them? Because isn't that what God did for us? In John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves your husband or your wife if they are not a Christian. And it's true if it is a Christian too that you're married to. God loves your spouse more than you do. It's very visibly demonstrated at the cross, isn't it? In the death and the sacrifice of Jesus because He died for you and for your sins. The Apostle John would say it in this way in his epistle in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, talking about Jesus, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. That when your spouse sins, I don't think any of us are prepared to offer a child. God gave His only begotten Son because He loves you and He loves your spouse. But then a third principle that we need to establish is that we don't need to look for a way out when things get tough. Marriage is tough, isn't it? If any of us are married, then we understand that marriage can be tough on its very own when it comes down to finances and arguments. And even if you include sin of any kind, infidelity, domestic violence, drug abuse, alcoholism, marriage might seem impossible at that point. And what you might hear from even some Christians is to get out. Get out of the marriage. Get out of that kind of situation. You don't have to live there and let me just be clear, if your life is in danger, your spouse may drive you and even your children from the home. Abusers need to be held accountable. 
And you should be able to seek refuge and safety with your spiritual family. But I want us to just think about what the Bible presents here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and in verse 12, Paul writes, But to the rest I say, not the Lord. And if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. If you are in a marriage relationship, and it is a peaceful relationship, then do not seek a divorce. Just because of religious differences or irreconcilable differences, do not divorce. Do not seek that way out. Verse 13, And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send him away. And I can only imagine that things are going to be tough, especially if you are married to an unbeliever. Things are tough in marriage anyway, but you think about finances, for instance, that's what most couples fight over. Think about how much harder it is if you are married to a non-Christian when it comes to where your money might go. They may not want the money that they earn and they work for to be given to the church, given to the Lord. Maybe they would rather get you give less to the church so they can invest more for retirement. Or how about you spending your time? They may not w want you to go to church because they want to go spend more time with you in personal hobbies and going to the golf course or going on vacation and going to the beach. Maybe it is that your spouse gave up on the church. They become unfaithful. And they quit, maybe becoming an atheist or an agnostic or a skeptic. And they begin to ridicule you and mock you for your faith. Your first step in those situations, it's not to say, well, okay, I'm throwing in the towel, I'm going to quit. I'm going to just divorce. That's what the world might say. What Paul says, if your unbelieving spouse is content to live with you, remain married, and do not divorce. Because what many people might have thought, especially as Paul was writing this, that if they were married to an unbeliever, a non-Christian, then that brought some kind of defilement to them as a believer, that, that made them unclean or unholy. And Paul's point is that that's not what happens, it's the reverse, if anything. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and in verse 14, he says, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. I don't think he means that they are saved just because you are a Christian. But he wants them to remember that if you are married to an unbelieving spouse, guess what? They get to see Christ living in you every single day. Every morning when you wake up together and every night when you go to bed together, they get to see Christ living in you. 
that benefits them. They also get to see your beautiful example of faith and charity, love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness in your good works. Isn't that what Peter admonishes in 1 Peter chapter 3? In 1 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 1 and 2 when he's talking about those who are married to someone who is an unbeliever that are disobedient to the word, he wants them to be respectful and he wants the husband to observe your chaste and respectful behavior. That you get to shine the light of the gospel and of Jesus Christ in your home and to your spouse each and every day. So what a wonderful opportunity you have to bring them to Christ. And I think we need to recognize that if we are married to someone who is not a Christian that we need to be shining the light of the gospel in our home to our children and to our unbelieving spouse. We need to let them see Christ living in us. We need to allow them to see that love and the forgiveness that we share. They need to see that from others as well. We'll have some more to say about that in a moment. So whenever things get tough, when there are disagreements in marriage just in generally, but especially that are magnified whenever you are married to someone who is not on the same page religiously as you, don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Be the example that you are called to be, that Jesus expects you to be, because you are the light of the world and you are the salt of the earth. Which leads us to our final point this morning. Is that we need to look to win our spouse through your godly actions. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. I don't think Peter means that you never speak the gospel to them here. What I do think he is speaking about is that your actions must be consistent with what you believe. Your your actions and your decorum and how you conduct yourself, they must be in absolute consistency with the Word of God. And you have to display that. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 2, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, and he goes on in verse 3, your adornment must not be merely external braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. And it's about the internalizing of the gospel and the truth and the call to holiness 
which is what is demanded of all Christians. You go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 15, Peter writes to all Christians, men and women alike, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. And Peter is not placing an extra demand in 1 Peter chapter 3 upon wives who are married to an unbelieving husband. He's just saying, you better live up to it. If you have any opportunity to win your, soul, your spouse to Christ, to bring them into the fold, and that they might be obedient to the gospel, it demands that you live a holy life. And obviously, living in a hostile society and world that is very antagonistic to the gospel and to the church and to faith in Christ, you bring that into a home where you're, an unbeliever is married to a believer, a Christian is married to a non-Christian, there's going to be some hostility there at some point. And the point that you must do and hold to is that you follow the example of Christ and you keep your behavior excellent. To win your spouse, you must show them Christ in your actions and your words every day. And then you must also be ready to give a defense. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, Peter says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That would include even an unbelieving spouse. When they ask you about why do you believe what you believe, you have to be ready to have an answer. And to win your spouse, you're going to have to understand them, aren't you? If they're an unbeliever, you're going to have to understand what might be some of the root of that unbelief. Maybe it was the tragic loss of a child or a loved one that drove them away from faith. And they couldn't handle the grief. And so they began to question the goodness of God in His existence. Maybe they were raised in a different culture than you. So they have very different ideas of what religion looks like. Maybe they come from a non-religious family that just didn't go to church. And so going to church is such a foreign concept to them. They feel uncomfortable in these kinds of settings. And so they cannot foresee ever becoming a part of something like that. Especially whenever you have to deal with the stereotypes that they might have in their mind. So what can you do? This is where I want to get practical here as we draw our lesson to a close this morning. If you're, an un, if you're a Christian that's married to an unbeliever, what can you do? Pray is where I would begin. Pray without ceasing. Pray that your spouse would 
hear you and recognize and see your faith. Pray that God gives you strength and wisdom in dealing with the hostility and the difficult conversations that might happen because of a difference in faith. Pray to understand your spouse and why they are not a Christian. Pray that God gives you opportunities to share your faith. Begin with prayer. But then a second thing that I think we need to be doing, all of us, no matter if we're married to a Christian or non-Christian, we need to involve our spiritual family in our lives. That we need to, and this I think is especially critical if you're married to someone who isn't a Christian. If they think that you just go to church on Sundays and on Wednesdays and that's the only kind of interaction, the only kind of talk, talking you ever do with those people, then they're going to say, well, that's not a huge part of their life, right? Just something they go and do a couple days a week. But if you begin to talk to your brothers and sisters throughout the week, if you eat with them, and if you go do things together with them, incorporate your unbelieving spouse, and let them see that your spiritual family loves you and is concerned about you and your kids, your family, and everything that's going on. They're concerned about even your spouse and their work and their business and what they do. Invite fellow Christians into your home for meals and friendship. Live out your faith in such a way that your spouse sees that belief is more than what you do on Sundays and Wednesdays. And then don't be afraid to talk about spiritual issues and questions. I think everyone at some point or another has wondered about what happens after we die. Life and death. Don't be afraid to talk about those issues, even if there are some differences there with your spouse. Don't be afraid to communicate and to talk about those things. And you can try to guide the conversation back to the Bible and you can say, I believe this because this is what the Bible says. And that's what I believe when you talk about those spiritual issues. And as we have mentioned already, care about your spouse. Listen to their struggles and their doubts. Assure them that faith does not mean that you live with an absence of doubt or any kind of struggle. But what you do have is a greater trust in God's ability to help you in the midst of struggles and trials and temptations and even your doubts. That your trust and your faith in God is what guides you through those storms. And that if they are an unbeliever, they don't have that same kind of faith or navigation system that can help them stay safe in the storm. Being married to a non-believer 
Well, I don't have experience with it, I'm certain it's a challenge. And if you are in such a situation, then I would encourage you to reflect and to think about this with me. Who has the greater influence over your life? Is it your unbelieving spouse? Or is it the Lord and His people? In a verse that sometimes is brought up in talking about marriage and talking about why you shouldn't marry a non-Christian, Sometimes it's brought up in those discussions. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. I think sometimes we're surprised to learn that it's not even talking about marriage in that context. But I think it's speaking of an even broader principle than marriage. It certainly could have application to marriage. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and in verse 14, Paul writes, do not be bound together with unbelievers or do not be unequally yoked. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? You can continue on in this context. In verse 17, there's a quotation from the Old Testament. It says, therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. We are called to live a holy life as God's children. What these verses are teaching us is that we must be holy in the midst of an evil and wicked generation, and that is true even if we have wickedness and sin that is brought into our home through an unbelieving spouse. <coughs> what this verse teaches us is that we must limit the fellowship and the interactions that we have with unbelievers. It's not a strict prohibition against interacting with unbelievers. That would be impossible. But it's about who has the influence over you. You're married to a non-Christian. Who's influencing you more? Is it the Lord? Or is it that unbelieving spouse? How much influence are you exerting over your spouse that's not a Christian? And as this morning we've been thinking very specifically about a very particular kind of question and scenario... Let me broaden it out to apply to all of us. How much influence does this world have over you? How much power does Satan have over your life? That's a question that we all must answer. That's a question that we all have to be ready to give an account for. And if your answer is anything but Jesus, as the one, the Son of God, who 
exerts the greater amount of influence over your life, then you need to reconsider how your life is going. Because He is the only answer and deliverance and salvation for your soul. This morning, if you are not a Christian, we urge you to seek the Lord while He may be found. Come to Him. He is gracious and He is merciful and He extends His forgiveness and His love to you. So much so that He gave His only begotten Son to die for you. And if you would believe in Christ and be baptized in water, your sins can be washed away and you can become His child. And if you have made that commitment to the Lord, but you've not been living faithfully for Him, we urge you to come back to repent of your sins and to make your life right with the Lord. If we can help you in some way this morning, would you come now?